It is better to think of the church in the alehouse than to think of the alehouse in the church. Welcome to the Go to Hell podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Curley, and I'm joined by... Uh, this is Colton Pierce, and we're on episode three already. Episode three. If you're still with us in episode three, we thank you very much. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I don't know why you're still here, honestly. Actually, they're here for the beer. Rubbing sticks and stones together make a sparks ignite, and the thought of loving you is getting so exciting. Sky rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. Whoop. You guys have it, I think. Huh. Afternoon delight. Uh, this week, guys, just so you know, we are uh, we're drinking uh, a nice little San Diego brew. It's Society. Society. We're not really sure yet. Uh, there'll be there'll be questions in the forums uh, for you guys to you know give your live reactions. Uh, it's called the Pupil. Um, it's just their standard IPA. Uh, have you had this one yet? I don't know if I've had that one yet, but this one's uh, this one's new, recent to the Central Valley, the the brewery, and everything we've had so far is tasty. So mm-hmm. we are we are they are shooting up the list with a bullet on That's the right. list of top breweries uh, with our group. So if, uh, if anybody from society is uh, listening, we could always go for a sponsor. Um, <laughs> we don't mind drinking it every week. Um, we, we do what we must. Um, I love beer. I love beer, 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 (laughs) beer and going down, down in my belly. So, uh, so we're back for, uh, to continue our series where, uh, we have decided that over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do to start off, um, for our podcast is we wanted to dive into, um, some reasons why are the top five reasons why people are leaving the faith. Um, this, of course, started with a, um, a message that was given from our pastor. He said that these were the top five reasons um, that people were leaving the faith, and uh, we agreed, and we, we wanted to unpack them, uh, just kind of have a discussion about them. What are we supposed to do as believers about them? Um, and even when we have different opinions about it. Uh, we do want to say before we get started and dive into this that um, this, what we are dealing with is, again, in the realm of opinions. Um we're going to have a couple of conversations about some things that may be extremely sacred uh, to certain audiences tonight. Um, but really what we're just trying to do is just have an honest discussion about the Bible, how we're supposed to take some of this stuff, um, and what are the opinions that people have, and and how do we reconcile um, kind of some of these situations that occur. Um, and that's why uh, tonight our topic is violence in the Bible. How do we reconcile that? Tim, do you want to start us off? Yeah, it's a big topic. Um, one that I still don't have a very good answer for. Um, and, and I know for a lot of people who either left the faith or were always repulsed by, uh, not only Christianity, but Judaism and Islam, uh, because all three Old Testament, New Testament, and the Quran all have uh, a lot of stories about violence in them, and it's been one of those issues that have kept people from becoming people of faith. And to start off the discussion, I've got two um, two quotes from two 
renowned atheists, one uh, deceased, one still with us. The first one's Richard Dawkins. And um, Dawkins called the set of stories in the book of Joshua known as the Canaanite genocides, which we're going to talk about tonight, in which God commands the people of Israel to invade the land of Canaan and kill everyone who lives there, quote, morally indistinguishable from Hitler's invasion of Poland or Saddam Hussein's massacre of the Kurds and the Marsh Arabs, unquote. And Christopher Hitchens, uh, on a radio uh, show, um, he was on there for his book, uh, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And in that he wrote, the Bible may indeed does contain a warrant for trafficking in humans, for ethnic cleansing, for slavery, for bride price, and for indiscriminate massacre. But we are not bound by any of it because it was put together by crude, uncultured human mammals, unquote. Uh, I really like Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> I disagree with him on many things. Uh, one of the reasons why I like him is his uh, very distinct uh, uh, way with the pen. And that's a perfect example right there. But so two examples of people who just want to have nothing to do uh, let's say specifically with Christianity, um, religion in general, but Christianity uh, specifically because of uh, all of the violence that's in it. So how do we go about describing all the violence? There's cer certainly a lot of it in the Old Testament, right, Colton? Yeah, I mean, um, I just, wow. I Just so we are clear, uh, kind of how we approach each week is uh, Tim has what he's going to bring. We do like a brief conversation about what it is that we're going to do, but... Uh, a lot of the stuff that we have to bring to the table, we may be hearing for the first time. And so those quotes were, uh, I was not expecting those. Um, the first one is, uh, yeah. And again, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Um, but those are just, those are brutal. Um, I think that it's, it's only natural, um, for people to kind of respond this way, um, to the violence that happens, that happens in the old Testament. You kind of see this, um, the situation that happens um, across the faith where um, people are willing to accept it and just sort of move on. Um, there are even those that are involved in the faith, and this may be some of you, where you believe that the Old Testament doesn't really count. Um, they kind of just are like, well, that stuff was like, you know, a previous uh, a previous God almost like when Jesus comes around this is the new God um, and so these kind of become these responses and so for a lot of people that are trying to enter into the faith they're like well aren't you supposed to be worshiping somebody who's never changing there's a lot of um, there's a lot of doubts and worries that get kind of embedded because of this violence that occurs in the scriptures and so I think we're going to be unpacking today kind of um, what are some of those possibilities of schools of thought? Um, how I've reconciled it, uh, Tim, uh, if he's reconciled it, um, you know, like what are these questions that we have even now, um, and how do we deal with that? Um, I think is extremely important. So, is there anything you want to go? Yeah. Over? So before we before we dive in, there's the, we'll we'll dissect the violence, particularly in the Old Testament, in, in a few minutes. But one of the things we have to admit as American, but also Western Christians is one of the reasons why we struggle with the violence in the Bible is despite what you think, 
we live in one of the least violent times in human history. And so, and we've gotten to a place where we have rules about warfare. We have rules about just war and unjust war, which that's a whole other can of worms, which Christianity helped create. Um, and we live in a world where most of us who live pretty much, all of us in the Western world think that we have our own agency. Uh, we, we don't submit to a king. Uh, you know, so... It's a lot, particularly when when we mature and go through go through college, and start dissecting the Bible, or even worse, someone becomes a new Christian, and then we throw this this ancient text at them and say, "Read this," <laughs> and all they've been exposed to is Jesus and the wonderful teachings of jesus and they start reading through the old testament and now they're like what the f is going on i what what have i got myself into and then there's no really good explanation we just kind of gloss over it right. or a lot of times certain aspects of the church and might be people who are listening to this they have an answer that frankly sounds unsatisfying which is well it's god's will because again we don't live in a world where one man it's just and it's antithetical to how we think philosophically let alone religiously that it's okay for one person to just order destruction and just trust me this is what needs to be done because it's all within my grand plan we don't live that's there's probably a lot of ancient folks who didn't um who had a hard time with that, but that's certainly much more of an ancient uh, worldview where you grow up living where there's one guy and he just tells you this is what you do and you go out and do it and you don't think twice about it. And we don't. We 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 are told to question everything. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that that's something worth mentioning on this podcast. That it's just if if you are of that nature where you are, you know. Um, God said it, or it, it's what happens, and so therefore I have to be okay with it, or, or this is what God wanted, um, so therefore um, that's how it has to be. Um, there's, a, there's a typical, um, I don't want to put, any, I don't want to be alienating, but I, the, the term that I would just use is that if, if you are the type that is currently thinking that there is some divine plan for the universe, or as some people call it, predestination, if you are sitting there saying that God has predestined these amount of people, there is this select or there is this elite um, kind of mentality where it's like there are those that are chosen to live and those that are chosen to die um, on this planet. And so therefore, that's how it has to be. And that's how it was in the Old Testament. He chose his selected people, which were the Israelites. And so therefore, all the other ones were the unchosen. And so they were just playthings to the remainder of, you know, of God's whim or whatever he wanted. Um, I would encourage you to, we will not be exploring those avenues in this podcast. Um, we're not of the mindset that we believe that this, there is this predestined God. And we'll be talking kind of about that today. Um, for a little bit, we'll be talking about, you know, uh, how God is and what his nature is and, and how do we have, um, what we have because God has given us the ability to choose. And, and I, 
and I'll say more for for once we start unpacking some of the violence. But just if there are those of you that believe that, you know, that this is the way it is because it is. Um, and, and we do want to recognize that we do have our biases. We are from a Western civilization. We've had freedoms. We like to view our God with freedoms. Um, but there are when we look at the scriptures and we look at what Jesus is, and that's supposed to be our ev- ultimate revelation of who God is. Um, so when we see Christ, we are supposed to see the father. Um, how do we then looking at Jesus? How then do we set up with the violence, um, that occurs? So, uh, um, yeah. So do you want to go ahead and get started or did you have anything else? Well, just wrapping that up. Um, so I, you know, I raised the question of, we question everything and we look, and I do think, I just, I do, I do want to for those of you who are struggling out there, maybe you you have grown up in a church setting that doesn't question anything. I I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater the other way, where we just kind of let everything go. There, there, <laughs> the Bible is clear, Jesus is clear as well. At there are things that we have. To, he is Lord, not just Savior, and so there is a level of having to submit. Uh, not only to what he wants to do in our life, but just an understanding of the world that we just might not understand. And so um, while we're going to challenge some worldview thinking and how we read the Bible, I also don't want to make it sound like it's just a a philosophical free-for-all and we can just interpret the Bible however we want. And, you know, God God will meet us where we're at because that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling like this today, and that's where God meets me. And it's not. That's not how it happens. So... Um, yeah, just be, we, we, we got to make sure we're being careful on that as well. So, so violence in the old Testament, there's four ways of, there's, there's, there's four ways we can generally, uh, describe violence in the old Testament. There's, there's described violence. So it's literally just describing violence. Right. Describing like, I don't know, like when Peter goes and cuts off that dude's ear. Right. Uh, so we'll go through these categories and then we'll actually read some scripture to kind of give everyone an idea what we're talking about. There's implored violence where someone's asking to be delivered or praying in a way using violence or blessing their violence or using maybe, uh, so like the Psalms, correct? Like when, uh, David is constantly, I mean, like that's what he asked for the most is deliverance from his enemies and, uh, delivering them into his hands for conquering or for, you know, in the name of the Lord or whatever he says. So, okay. Um, then there's violence is divine judgment. We talked about that last week, a little bit, the flood. Oh, okay. So like the flood, got it. So again, these are things that are described and well, we'll get into we'll get into that. And then the last one is violence commanded by God, which is the one I think we've all got where we where that is the troublesome one. Yeah, what's always funny is that like usually when people talk about these, they don't really care about you know like uh, <laughs> they don't care about. Uh, you know, uh, like New Testament examples of like, cause right. We have like the flood. Okay. But then what about like in the situation in acts where like those, that couple, uh, like lies about how much they've donated to the church and then they just drop dead. You know? Oh, that's a, I hadn't thought about that. That's a great example. Cause <laughs> yeah. it, cause the, the, 
the scripture implies that they that God killed the two of them. Yeah, exactly. And this is supposed to be post Jesus. <laughs> Holy that. smokes! <laughs> and we're not even gotten to Revelation, which. Yeah. <laughs> ah. uh, wow. But the flood, you know, the flood. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sorry, totally derailed our conversation. Okay, so I'm gonna read. I have a couple examples. Colt might find some. Part of these I'm just going to read because they're just so... The first one I'm going to read is just so bizarre. Uh, and it, and it, it is so bizarre that I think people take it... This is the kind of stuff that they take with... That, that they use as like, this, is, this book's crazy. And th this is going to be a little bit of a long one. But again, I, I, when I found it, I just... I had to do it. Okay, so this is the story of the Levite uh, and his concubine. So, and the story takes place um, in Israel when it had no king, which is, that is an important part of the story. So, uh, guy comes, guy's got a concubine, comes across this old man, um, the old man lets him come into his house and stay there. The Levite lets him come there and stay. So uh, we're in Judges 19, starting in verse 20. The old man says, while they're, while they're enjoying themselves, no, uh, sorry, you are welcome at my house. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. Quote, unquote. So he took him to his house and fed his donkeys. After they, were, after they washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house, pounding on the door. They shouted to the old man who owned the house, Bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with them. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest... You went straight for Sodom and Gomorrah. No, no, no. It's close. Don't be, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them to do whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to them. So the men took his concubine, and uh, so the man took the concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn they let her go. At daybreak the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the floor, and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, and her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. Verse 29. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut his concubine limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them to all areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came out of Egypt. Just imagine. We must do something, so speak up. Isn't that the same story as 
as isn't that the same story as the Sodom and Gomorrah? No, it's right? no. Isn't it the angels, the angels. That's come. Abraham. This is after. Yeah, but the angels come. They show up in the city. It's a similar story, but it's and, not the same story. Because I was like, this just sounds like okay. Yeah. So. So. What do we do with that? So. Ten enlightenment. What, what do you what, what do you think that is? What do we, story? Do you, what, where do we classify? Yeah, what what do you think that is? That sounds like it's a description. I didn't even hear God mentioned in all of that. That was just like a man just. God was so so. God's not mentioned once. Okay. The, the key the key sentence. So I started two thirds of through the chapter. The key sentence is that the is in verse one. In those days, Israel had no king, which should be interpreted by the modern reader as. There was no law. So this is a described violent story, and we can be repulsed by not only what the men do, but even what the Levite does. Right. And let's be clear, the, the, the scripture is not specific, but it's pretty much widely understood that the woman's dead by, the, they basically rape her to death, and then it, so they rape her and then she dies at the doorstep. So he doesn't kill her and then cut her up. But even then, the dismembering thing is an odd thing to do. Right. And apparently it is, you, he uses it as an omen to say, things have gone off the rails. Something's got to be done. But yes, you're correct. Nowhere in there does God say, take the woman and dismember her into 12 parts. The 12, again, if you know your Bible, the 12 part is interesting. So he basically sends one to every tribe. Every tribe. So, crazy story. Uh, it's a crazy story, and I read it specifically. But again, it is described, but it also, I don't care if you're religious or not, it's a cautionary tale of what happens when we have, when there's lawlessness and there's no, there's no control. And men are basically allowed to do whatever they want to do. Well, and I mean, and the reason why I think that this story is included is, again, I think it does have parallels to the uh, to the Sodom and Gomorrah story because uh, you have the idea of and what a lot of people focus on is is the uh, is the homosexuality nature when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah. But that's not necessarily the focus. It's really about um, the evilness of the men um, and uh, and not necessarily in. It's just the hospitality aspect um, is a huge part of that story. And so what you're seeing here is, again, what you said was true is that there's this bad omen kind of thing where it's like you don't treat people this way regardless. Like um, that's how it's supposed to be. It's not necessarily this um, uh, this homosexual thing that you're supposed to be focusing on, but so much as you don't treat people this way. Uh, this is not – you don't – just because somebody's a stranger into your home or into your town doesn't mean that you go and <laughs> yeah trying to find out right so so uh, i don't think we need to go and have many examples um that's just one there's a lot of examples throughout the i think throughout the old testament that are similar to that the thing we have to do and i and i think we don't often do it when we just get on this kick of wow, there's a lot of violence in the Old Testament, and particularly those who are looking for reasons to poke at the Old Testament is, sometimes they're just they're descriptions of an ancient time 
in a world that again didn't have any of the moral sensibilities that we do and it's a description of you know and i think that's the point of the story that the that why that's included in the bible is this is what's hap- well, this is what happens when there's when there's no order which god wants i think i don't know i'm going to save some of my some of my pieces for a little bit later cuz i think that there's there's something that you're like pulling at there that i would like to discuss a little bit but i think I'll wait a little bit for to see what else we got down the road because uh, I think it'll be important to discuss as we continue to look at stuff further. Okay, so category number two, impl- implored violence. This one's a little bit, I think, tough for people. Um, Psalm seventeen thirteen: Rise up, O Lord, confront confront them, overthrow them by your sword, deliver my life from the wicked. Um, what about? Elisha. Okay. Well, let me. Okay. <laughs> Second Samuel twenty two thirty five. He trains my hands for war, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Elisha's a, a different category. That's a great one. I'm glad That's you brought it up. Category? It is. Well, no, actually, it straddles this one and the next ask, one. Doesn't ask or command that God come and take these. Yeah, so this that's why it's it's two different things. Because the next category is violence of divine judgment. So the Elisha Elisha story. The Elisha story is what? Elisha's going down the road. He gets confronted by some knucklehead kids or some ruffians. Go up to the mountain, Baldy. Yeah, they tell him, and apparently this is some great sign of uh, ill repute in. I guess not. I guess I guess not. Um, yeah, apparently it was a great affront, uh, and so Elisha curses them. Yes. And she bears come down and maul. Yeah, I don't remember literally what he says. I mean, we could, you know, somewhere we have the Google machine in front of us. We could probably find the verse, but he curses them in some. I don't think he says. May it bears de- descend upon you and no. and and disembowel you, but a, a sheer she bear then uh, appears at the same moment and uh, mauls them. So that's a great example of implored violence, because a light. Well, it's not though, because he just curses them. He doesn't say. I don't think he says. Well, you find the verse. Does he implore? Does he use? God. Yeah, it says, so from there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. <laughs> he turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Okay, there you then go. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're so telling, telling me George, George Costanza's Costanza in the Bible. Bible. Yeah, exactly. Uh... uh Okay, okay, so, so yeah, yeah, it's impl- implored, implored violence. violence. He, asked he asked God to deliver him from, from these ruffians. These ruffians who are just calling who are, who are calling me sticks a, and stones, stones may break my bones, but if you call me a baldy, I'm sending a she bear upon you. <laughs> so that's both that's both implored violence and violence as divine judgment. This is a great story for those of us. Uh, this is the perfect example of. The kind of story that 
separates the literal, those of you who read the Bible literally, and those of us who are struggling, who, who find that difficult and are struggling on what to do. I'll, I'll put it that way. So the literal view is that's what happened. God's word, God, God is a God of judgment, and he answered Elisha's uh, prayer because God does not tolerate any p making fun of uh, baldies. And, uh, you know, if, he, if they called them short, that might have saved their life. But the, but the fact that they, they deigned to call him a baldy, God delivered uh, these boys. What was it, 62? 42. 42. The, the 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 massacre of the baldies um so that's what happened so what's the other interpret what's the other way to look at this what is the other way, yeah, to, look the other way to look at this that script that verse i don't know i feel like forrest talked about it but i might have zoned out for that one you're killing me i'm sorry uh this this gets to the heart of the the, the this gets to the heart of the a lot of the the divide between reading not only the stuff about violence but other things uh, in the Old Testament, and it's going to be this will be what we circle around back to every week. We do this five problems people have with the church and why they're leaving the church. It'll probably be as long as this podcast goes, we'll be going back to this 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 topic of how do you read the Bible the tip the Traditional views, just read what's in front of you and just accept it. Uh, the, the, the typical layperson evangelical view, and that is not to make fun of anybody who has that view. I mean, most of us, we've sat in church and we, you know, we read the Bible, do we do what we, the best we can, and we, we we're guided by the pastor who tells us how to read that read that scripture um i would say the academic view is not that that view correct i if i remember correctly when it comes to this particular piece of scripture is that you have to look at and what you should do for all of them every single time that you run into these situations never look at these texts out of context and and remember that when we say context like you may sit there and think i'm not reading it out of context the story is literally called elisha and the i don't let me check real quick it's like uh, yeah elisha is je elisha is jeered right like that's the section that's what it's called but what's important to note is that there were no sections um in the scriptures like there before you know 200 years ago there was no we didn't divide it up there were no numbers there were no chapters there were no um sections this is just how people organize them they didn't call any particular section by a particular name um the books had their own names um but the the idea is is that it, that is that elisha is doing these like miracles beforehand and you're gonna see that like there's this kind of parallels and those happen all the time in the scriptures is that there's these parallels um uh, that that happened probably this number 42 is extremely important numbers are extremely important to um to uh the jews in their history um and that kind of stuff and so there was this uh and so always what's important to do is make sure that you are looking at the context 
um, seeing if there's any parallels that can be made and then try to come up with your stuff after that. So uh, ultimately what would probably we would say about this is probably like the story didn't actually happen. It was probably just that story to like enforce his authority. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That's one interpretation. Or how about this? We imply, we infer something that is actually not implied. This is, this isn't a cautionary tale. It's just a, let's, let's just take it, let's actually take it literally. All right? The story happened. Sure. Elijah's walking around, a, a gang of, knucklehead kids come out and start jeering him and at the same time a she-bear comes out and mauls 42 of them by the way that must be they must be the slowest boys that have ever now that i think about it but okay whatever but the problem is we infer something that might not be there this is as you said this is just a a, a letter or really at the time someone telling uh, oral story of Elisha. Right. And this is like a lot of histories. You read a story about John Adams or uh, George Washington or whoever. You'll get little nuggets of their life. It's just to give a little color. Sure. So this is a color story. The thing to, 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 the thing to take away from the story is that Elijah has got a thing about being bald. Again, he's George Costanza. He's got a problem with being bald. That's right. This does this read this does the scripture say that God delivered the 42 boys to the she bears? No. No, we imply we infer I mean, that. It's kind of it's it is coincidental. And so we <laughs> infer that because Elisha cursed them. And again, I'm so now we're getting to the context part which you brought up. Because if we read the whole story of Elisha, he's doing miracles. And we said last week, we believe in miracles. So I think, but this is one of those instances where we infer that he's done a miracle and all he's done is curse God. And then for some reason at the same time, a she-bear comes out. So. Yeah, I I think, well, and I, I guess I opened up the 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 worms here on this one because i brought up this story uh well it was a good story that they did a whole sermon on this from our they did they did and if i do recall they did say you need to look at it contextually like you have to and and we're going to find out with a lot of these scriptures um when we're looking at a lot of these old testament stuff be looking at um again numbers always important why is it like one fifth why is it why is it all of that stuff matters okay uh you know uh why is it that the israelites have to wander the desert for 40 years why is it that jesus spends 40 days in uh all of the numbers matter i can't stress that enough um they may seem inconvenient but no they matter so um uh yeah so uh, and looking for those parallels um, is important through the stories. I, again, I don't have, we don't have the scriptures right here with us, but um, that that's just what I would recommend for this particular story. But anyway, so that's our third or second category. So what's our third? Well, I don't know. So implored violence. I don't think we put a bow on that. Oh. There's a lot of it in 
the Old Testament, a lot of it in the Psalms, the Proverbs. Should we do that? Uh, what? As Christians, should we implore violence? David is a man after God's own heart. Should we off ask for deliverance from our enemies? That's an interesting question because David was also told, I think in Chronicles, one of the Chronicles, one of them, that the temple would not be built during his reign because he had too much blood on his hands. What do we take about it? What do, what do we do? But this was God's plan, right? This is... I know, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, so I mean, that's should, should we as Christians implore violence upon our God? Upon God, should we implore violence? I was right. like, we sing psalms on Sundays, like, occasionally. Like, but we are selective about what psalms we sing. Also, other included psalms, uh, very common, uh, just a little side tangent, is that, you know, um, laments are uh, part of psalms. We don't sing those on Sundays either, mainly because those are from deep hardships, deep, um, dark times in the psalmist's life or whatever, um, and just kind of expressing all of their their struggles and their pains um to god and just kind of expressing that to him okay so that that i think that gets us to the heart of how i would deal with the implored violence in the old testament i think you'll you'll probably agree with this which is these are people who are we we said we said in episode two last week that we believe in the er inerrancy of the Bible. We also said I'm, we don't necessarily, <laughs> that word doesn't necessarily mean what a lot of other people think, but we do believe this is an inspired, it is God's word. It is the way that we come to know him. Um, so that said, I think it's also important, particularly in the Old Testament, to try to understand these are people who are going through the same thing we are, which is trying to understand God. Yeah, I think the, the the words that we are reading when they were written down by whoever might have been God inspired, but that doesn't mean David, even if he's the man after God's own heart, understands how God works and knows what God wants at all times. And so Jesus hasn't been revealed to David at this point. God's ultimate plan on how he wants the world to work. David lives in a violent time surrounded by violent people. And he's doing his best to lead uh, his people. And, you know, we could spend probably three ep podcasts, maybe we will down the road, on, on what an awful person David was. <laughs> and yet he's the one who's described as a man after God's own heart. I mean, David did all kinds of crazy, awful things. So we can read David imploring that God bless his hands as he goes to war, uh, train his 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 body and his in his army for war that's him imploring god to bless him but that doesn't mean necessarily that's what god that's not the ideal that god wants right am i am i am i close i think okay so what i think is important here and i and i was going to save it for later but i think it's important to do now is that is that and here's where colton again is going to isolate himself on an island where all of our two people that are going to listen to this are just going to email me and just tell me hateful things. Um, 
yeah, I think that what you hit was uh, right on the head. I think that there is this idea um, for a lot of people in the faith that scripture for the, is almost like there's kind of like this little like like if you will, like there's a little angel on your shoulder that's um, that is telling them what to write. Um, there's this whole idea that because all scripture is God breathed and whatever that term means, they say that therefore God has uh, written these books, basically. Um, that these can be impenetrable books. They cannot be tampered with or whatever because of the fact that they are God breathed. Um, and it's so difficult um, when you get to these topics and you get to these problems that you're going to find throughout Scripture and throughout the Bible where it's just – it just doesn't work that way. How I would say it is that is that these are – these the Bible is a roadmap to who God is and who his character is. This is our way to find God. Um, and, and for us to understand better his mission for us. Um, these are the scriptures that, and here's also something that's important to know, and we talked about it the first day, is that the Catholic Church is what decides, is who decided what goes in your Bible. There are several other books out there, but they decided that these are the books that go in the Bible. It, it's not like they were, like, they wrote a book and they were like, okay, this is going in the Bible. Um, because right. God, God sent me this message. And so therefore it's going in the Bible. No, these were, these were texts that the Catholic church collected and then put into the Bible. There was the Hebrew Bible before, which was all of the stuff that they wrote down while they were in exile. Right. Um, and they collaborated with, and they took that. Now what's important to note, and what I think is extremely important for this entire conversation that we're going to have today is the amount of human influence in the Bible. And, and the amount of human influence in our human nature and how we influence things and how we can even influence God is something that's important to look at. Right. Um, and, and I'll give a couple of examples as we go on. But um, when we look at something even like Elisha or whatever, I still think that there are instances where we as people can influence God and ask him to do something that he himself does not want to do. Um, and that's something that we might, uh, be able to consider and talk about. Um, but there are also situations where, where we have to look at something that goes along with, with the violence or something that we just don't understand. And we have to look at the people that wrote this and understand that these were these were people, exactly what you were talking about, that are going through what we're going through. They have sinful natures. They have evil intents. Uh, or even if, even if they have pure intents, right? They still have been influenced by sin and uh, through negative uh, things. And so they may not view the world exactly as God views the world and how he wanted it to be. So I think that's something to keep in mind for the rest of our conversation. Yeah. Another view, to go back to the Elisha story, the other view of that story might be Elisha using God's name in vain to punish a bunch of kids that he should have turned the other cheek and walked away from. But, and, and because he got rankered up over nothing, 42 boys got mauled according to that story. Over what? Because they called them bald. So, you know, one way to look at that is just, yeah, that's what happens when you get mad. 
right. bad things happen. Whether or not one thing is related to another, just take the story, I don't know, literal, allegory, whatever you want. Bad things happen when you don't do what Jesus says, eventually comes around and says, which is turn the other cheek. Right. Okay. So implored, implored uh, violence. That's the, the second one. Third one is violence as divine judgment. We talked a little bit about this last week. There's a lot of that in the Old Testament too, where things seem to be, they're either written or again, we infer that God is somehow imposing divine judgment on the world because of their sin. So last week we talked about the story of the flood and God gets upset because uh, according to Genesis, there is so much violence in the world that God's got to end everything, which I will point out that is, that's the part about the flood. We don't, that we leave out when we get really uppity and start to judge. Let's just take the, the flood at face value. We as humans, Christians are not Christians who, who question it or the, the Dawkins of the world like to get really upset about that and question it. It doesn't say that God had a bad piece of pizza one night and decided, you know, just woke up one day and said, I'm, I'm going to restart. I'm going to just redo this whole thing. It's described that basically violence and everything else was so bad that there was, there was no deliverance that humanity, I mean, it had to go. So we cannot believe that story. We discussed it last week, but you know, we leave out some of those interesting tidbits when we start getting there. Well, how could God just destroy the whole world and, and do this? Well, you know, it doesn't go into great detail, but it does try to lay out before he decides to do that, that apparently things are so bad that it sounds like it might be uh, inhumane to let humanity continue to go as it was. So, uh, I don't know if you've got some stories about that you can think of on the top of your head about divine, divine judgment. Uh, one that I had was uh, chapter 7 of Isaiah, King Hazaz is warned by the prophet Isaiah not to make a treaty with Assyria, which at the time was the great superpower. And he says, eh, go stuff it, old man. I need these guys to protect me. He signs a treaty with Assyria, and lo and behold, they decide to break it, overrun Israel, ransack it, destroy it, and... Again, we infer that, oh, well, Israel, uh, the king, doesn't do what Isaiah tells him to do, and therefore God punishes Israel, where instead of just reading that as what it might have been was, that might be a bad idea. It wasn't a curse. It was a cautionary point of wisdom of, I don't think you should trust these guys. And he did it anyway. And what happened? What he was warned was going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think, uh, aside from the, the situation in Acts, like, you know, with the, uh, the couple dropping dead um, for lying about how much that they've given to the church. Um, 
those are kind of uh, just some interesting uh, situations. I think I've come up with a couple today that are just kind of like a little out there or whatever. Um, but again, how do we reconcile that? Um, how do we reconcile the fact that somebody just lied and then out of nowhere they just dropped dead? You know, um, and especially for people that maybe uh, like, and this is a conversation that happens a lot with like, uh, with like let's say like Judas, um, where people are like, well, could Judas have come back from uh, betraying Jesus? Could he have? Uh, could these people have come back? Could they have repented well, of their sins? <laughs> could they have repented for what they had done? Was there anything that they could have done? I mean, what about uh, criminals that we have currently in in prison now? The same kind of situation where you have with the death penalty. There is still the potential that these people could come back from that, right? Like, as soon as you end their life, do they have the ability to repent and become better people or no? So, so we're still talking specifically about the, <laughs> was it Ananias and... Yeah, whatever. Elvira, that's not Elvira, but uh, sorry, folks. Um, okay, that specific. So the, the the example I had, that's an easy one. Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, so the one where is where the king of Israel makes a deal he's told not to. That's an easy one. However, it, it is important to bring it up because again, part of this exercise is to when we're reading through all this violence that we're repulsed by, um, or you might be repulsed by, is to dissect it and just not lump it up into one thing, and say you know what is this? And so, the Isaiah story is a good example of this is what's going to happen. Um, there's, I could probably list four or five, six or seven from David's, you know, uh, David and Bathsheba, uh, where they seem like uh, violence is divine judgment, and it's just like this is what happens when you do really dumb things. Right, like the death of David. Yeah. Um, Ananias and Sapphira is a hard one because it says what it says, and like some of these other stories we've already talked about, we might be, we might be, or maybe even, um, uh, was it John wrote Acts? No, uh, Luke wrote. Uh, Luke. Luke, Luke might be implying something that, or inferring something that didn't happen. But it's also possible this the same book that has that story that revulses us says God knows what's on our heart and says that Pharaoh was delivered to the devil because he knew I mean God knows at some point in all of us you've you've made your decision that doesn't mean he's condemned us it's him just simply saying you've you've made your decision you're going you're not going you're going against me you've you've decided God I don't like you. I'm not following you. And it might be one of those situations and where uh, a moment they made that decision and it was a, a moment of uh, a, mir a miracle. <laughs> a miracle. Uh, a miraculous moment happened. <laughs> uh, and it was used as a cautionary tale. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know either. I, I got to be honest. I, I I wasn't coming with those prepared for today. Uh, <laughs> I got to be honest. <laughs> so I was like, I just, they kind of came to mind and I was like, oh yeah, how do we, how do we reconcile those? But we were honest about this from the beginning is that uh, we got questions. Like we're not, we are people that are like, these are how we've answered it. These are things that have happened that it's like, how does this happen? And again, I thought it was good that you pointed out. You're like, yeah, this happens after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like this is after Jesus has presented his entire message, has presented himself as who he is. And and yet we find this situation where two people are dropping dead in the early stages of the church because they lied about how much they gave just to make themselves feel better about themselves. Interesting. Yeah, it's clearly uh, don't lie about how much you tithe. That's the answer. That's yeah, that's well, the <laughs> that's the lesson from that. That's right. <laughs> All right, last, the last, and very much the most difficult category is the violence commanded by God, right. and specifically uh, what uh, Richard Dawkins. Um, referenced in the quote that I started the podcast off with, which was the what has been dubbed the Canaanite genocide. So uh, Israelites Israelites are coming out of there, wandering in the desert. They they're coming into Israel, uh, uh, Canaan, and Joshua's leading them. And there's these, according to scripture, God just clearly lays out these instructions for warfare that <laughs> that have to repulse. So let me give some examples or let me give an example that's pretty clear about what God's laying out. Yeah, I've got a couple from uh, from like Deuteronomy, you know, you may however take for yourselves the women, the children, the livestock and everything else in the city. You may use everything that belongs to your enemies. The Lord has given it to you. That is how you are to deal with those cities that are far away from the land you will settle in. But when you capture cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, kill everyone. Completely destroy all the people, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord ordered you to do. Kill them so that they will not make you sin against the Lord by teaching you to do all the disgusting things that they do in the worship of their gods. When you are trying to capture a city, do not cut down its fruit trees, even though the siege lasts a long time. Eat the fruit, but do not destroy the trees. The trees are not your enemies. You may cut down the other trees and use them in the siege mounds until the city is captured. That's Deuteronomy twenty fourteen through 20. Okay, so perfect example of violence commanded by God. Straight out of that this is this is basically the whole, this is the campaign orders for the whole Canaanite genocide. Right. So how do we, so what do we do with that? Right. And I think, well, and something that I want to unpack here and something that I don't think that a lot of people discuss is that when they talk about take the women and children for themselves, what, what, what does that mean? Okay. I think, I think I know where you're going to go with that. So before we do that, <laughs> I'm going to give you three, this isn't like, this isn't the only way scholars look at these this kind of thing but here's here's three ways scholars christians over the two centuries have looked and had to had to read this 
part of the Bible. Okay, one is Israel's just misunderstanding God. Like, this is a, an account of them, like, they're just misunderstanding what God wants. God really just doesn't want them at all. He's delivered them from Israel, from Egypt, and he's going to give them Israel. And somehow they think, well, the way we got to do this is what everybody else does. And we just got to go in there and kill all the men, women, and children and take it for ourselves. That's, that's number one. That, I got a problem with that one. Number two, and this one's a very popular interpretation of this. And I, I know I don't like this one, and I know you're going to hate it, but it's very popular. The events of the conquest are a one-off in history, never to be repeated, and for the purpose of God's plan of establishing a nation of Israel and therefore his eventual blessing of the world. Okay. So God basically gives him, himself and his people a time out and says, I'm going to do something here. We're all, we're not going to be happy. We're, I don't recommend it, but we're going to do it this one time. Okay. And then the third one was, and this might be, I think where you're going. And this is a, I don't know if this is a modern understanding or this was because a lot of stuff, folks, you are listening to this podcast. A lot of things that you think are modern are actually very old interpretations of the church and what you think of as evangelicals this law or calvinist or whatever is how the bible's been interpreted and you have a very narrow just in terms of time frame un understanding of how most of the churches understood the bible so small caveat but the third view is the conquest in reality was a more rather gradual uh, was rather more gradual than generally believed in terms of taking over. Like, this isn't to be taken literally. They didn't come and just wipe out Canaan right away. That Israel gradually took over. That there was slow displacement of one group of people by another than just this big, huge conquest of the area. Uh, there's archaeological evidence to support this. And basically, this reading in Joshua is more of a theological spin on what happened uh, and characterizing it as a grand takeover in the name of God, even though it was actually more of a gradual, uh, dare we say, evolutionary <laughs> event. So I think, so first off, uh, I think what's important is again, I, I want to clarify that this is like the realm of opinion, and so that, and so I'm just going to come out and say this is, this is how I have had to reconcile um, violence in the Bible. This is my philosophy and kind of, um, and in order enough to understand where this comes from, I, I think we have to go back to Genesis, and we look back at Genesis, and we look at that flood. We look at that flood, and there is this. Um, and even though yet uh, last week we talked about how this was, you know, this this mythology or whatever, um, still there's this idea from God um, that He is going to do things a different way. That's that's the part that's important to me about the flood is that there is this idea that there's there are no longer any just quick turnaround moments. There's no um, there's no let me just start over anymore. 
Um, and so he starts with Abraham. And he has Abraham slowly begin to build um, this, this, this chosen people. But now here's what's important is that when we say this chosen people, we're not saying it in the way that they are supposed to be elitist. Um, they're supposed to be a people that set apart. They're supposed to be what everyone else is supposed to be like. That's my philosophy on it, is that um, the Jews were not supposed to be, or the Israelites were not supposed to be um, this holy nation that was only to themselves as they became. Instead, it was supposed to be people that were supposed to be the church on the hill to where they were supposed to go out, and, and this is what Christians are supposed to be like. This is still God's mission from the very beginning all the way through the end. Um, but he made it clear that he is not going to do this um, his way, the quick way. He's going to do this the slow and very painful way. And so the way that I reconcile a lot of this stuff when we look at these these issues, and, and that's why I asked what I was going to say when it says, you take the women and children for yourselves. What does that mean? Um, there's other instances where they say you're supposed to kill any woman who's laid with a man. So keep all the virgins for yourselves, um, which we can all assume that they're not going to be virgins for much longer. Right. Um, and these are commands from the Lord, apparently. Right. Um, and so uh, well, what does that look like, right? Um, how do we reconcile that? Um, and so, yes, I still think it's very important to, again, understand the human influence um, over the Bible and then also understand the human influence that we have over God. And that is God is constantly trying to work with us um, to make us better. So um, and to where I think that and the way that I've always reconciled it is that um, is that God does not want this to happen. Um, but because of the nature of the world at the time, and so you said that I may disagree with number two, but actually number two probably comes the closest um, to the way that I've always reconciled it. That's is that um, is that it's not a one-off and done. It's not like we're going to do this this one time or whatever it is. I am working with my people, um, and it's not a just a quick turnaround because like we said last week, God doesn't work that way. There's no point in the scriptures where just all of a sudden God is just like, boom, quick turns. Um, he doesn't do things quickly. He very slowly works with his people. And so he's constantly working with them and he's saying like, and he tries his best. We look at, and I mean, we have Joshua, we have judges. He says he doesn't want a king. Um, but Israel says that they want a king, and he's like, no, I don't want you to have one, but still they're adamant that they want a king, and God relents. Um, again, the people are able to change what God's plan is for them um, over and over and over again. He sends, he turns away from them, right? He, he sends them out into exile. He's like, I'm done with you. And then they lament, and they cry out to him, and he's like, okay. And he comes back because he remembers it, he remembers those promises that he made for them. And so, and then we finally get to where 2,000 years ago we get Jesus. And I believe that Jesus was specifically put in that particular time to be there. Um, you know, they talk about the trade routes. They talk about all this stuff is that Jesus was specifically chosen for that particular time. 
um, to be there. And this was when the world was ready for God to come down as, as a person in my, in my view, um, as a human, what, and then, and because if God were to, were to come down as a human before that, I don't know if the world would have been ready. They weren't even ready for him the first time. That's why they crucified him. But at least they allowed him to get to the age, you know, 35. <laughs> so. No, I look to that point specifically, I think it's clear God in his infinite wisdom picked the perfect time. He picked he picked the moment in he picked the first moment in history where the Western world had been united under Rome, had roads, and had a fairly unified language system. And right. so it was the perfect time to have Jesus and then have that gospel that was gonna come out of it right. get transmitted. Because Maybe before then it would it it, it it wouldn't yeah, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have um without absolute divine intervention it wouldn't have matriculated out through through the world the way it did right um so he absolutely picked the perfect moment in human history as it had evolved um, without necessarily him you know putting his finger on the scales and moving things in his direction well i think that's all the broader point you were making i think is great and you'd said earlier about how contacts context matters and that's where i'm not sure where i am on those three things this is one of those where my mind's not made up but in defense of the of the second of the two that that, that it's a one-off thing you've got a, the context of where the israelites are going into matters and what we know not only from what the bible says but just uh anthropological digs just what outside of the bible what we know about the canaanites they were by modern standards awful human just terrible people sure. uh they slaughtered babies for for their gods um i'm pretty sure there's also a, i know it's i'm not sure how anthropological this is true but i i have heard it said by several pastors and i assume they're getting this from secular sources but maybe not but that basically at that time there was a cycle where let's say in the springtime it's everyone you got one god and you're having sex all the time and then when nine months later when the result of all that happens is the babies, then you put the babies to death for the other God. And it's this cycle of absolute depravity that, that you're dealing with. And so um, the Bible makes it clear that where they're going into, these are people that are not living any way according to what God wants. So. Right. Well, I mean, they, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not laying that out to justify it. But context matters. I think context matters, understanding. And if God is trying to set his city on the hill to be a light to the world, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think that what's hard is when I look at, I look to Romans when, you know, uh, when Paul is pointing the finger at, uh, 
the Israelites. He points the finger at the Christians, right? He, he points it at both. Um, but he does talk about the failed mission that the Israelites had. They became this isolated kind of community where they sealed themselves off. Um, and we look at, and again, we look at these these violent instances that that were the start, or not even like the start. This is because um, the start would be would be with Abraham, right? With, right. Um, and then eventually, after their exodus out of um, out of Egypt, and now this taking of this land that belongs to somebody else, um, how do we? make that okay and especially with what we're talking about or even what we deal with in our current sense when we when after 1945 we just decided to carve out land for israel and that was somebody else's land up until that point right you know like that's why we have these issues with israel and palestine but the united states uh the, the united kingdom uh russia we just decided to just say nope this is this is where the Jews belong. This is Israel. This is their homeland. Yeah. And we just push people out of their own country. Like, how does that... We just made our own country uh, in the middle of all of this. Um, and and we got to play the divine, you know, in that aspect. But still, does that make it okay? Is that... Well, just, just a moment of clarification... The Jews who settled in Israel didn't push the Palestinians out. The Palestinians were angered by it and left. But your your general point is correct. We played God. Uh, we played God because we had a pr tremendous amount of guilt. Oh yeah, you bet. Um, although, although, also. To be fair, historically, to be fair, to be fair that mo that movement started, I believe, in the 1800s, even before we had World War II. But that after World War II, it was kind of like C C C. We kept telling you because uh, because there had been uh, two centuries of, of Jewish um, persecution um, all throughout Europe. At least, at, well, yeah, at least, but certainly those who had been. The diaspora that went into Europe, they went from country to country, um, being persecuted by the church and all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, the best things you can say about them are from a Shakespeare play. So, right, but I mean, like, well, and and to continue on with what you had said before about the Canaanites, if we had an exact replica country of Canaan today, let's say we have we find some remote island um, and. Uh, and they are doing the exact same thing as the Canaanites. Oh, we wouldn't kill them, right? Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't kill every single, every single man and woman on that island, would we? We wouldn't, but 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 I think okay. I think this has gotten us. I think to, to a good part of the discussion because you know the last hour we've basically tried to break down what's wrong with the Bible what people would say is what's wrong with the Bible and why they can't be they can't believe in Jesus because of this other stuff that's in the Bible and this is always my problem with the Christopher Hitchens and the Richard Dawkins of the world because they don't like our God because God doesn't act their way and yet when they are God they act in many times any ways 
many times the same way. Now, I will say in Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens' defense, he was, well, he's a complicated guy, but to your point, we might we might not make war and annihilate everyone, but we just assume make war. And 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 to me, particularly the old, I mean, the irony is, I grew up a Reagan conservative, uh, hoorah America, and the older I get, uh, Colton's a pacifist, and we'll probably talk about that in a further episode. But um, um, the older I get, the clo- the more I become that, and I think part of it's just the my as my faith matures i i find it more and more abhorrent and i find that every time man tries to become god and decide we judge you for doing something really bad when it might be justified we end up making things worse by going by by making war and so i it's the degree your questions your question's correct on the degree to which we do it, but we'd act, that's the irony though. Those of us who don't believe in God wouldn't act in any other way if we had a society that was killing young children. Right. We would, we would all stand up and say, what do we have? We have to do something to stop this, and we'd find ourselves at war. Right. We uh, And I think that this is, well, it's a westernized kind of idea. There's this, uh, but it comes from, uh, I. I would make the argument that the whole idea of uh, this kind of superhero mentality that we as Americans have is stemmed from uh, this idea of saving people through Christianity. There's You are literally creating another crusade situation. Yeah. And the, the United States and actually a lot of Western cultures I believe in their Western crusade. It is we practice this other people practice that theirs is weird because they don't do what we do and so we need to convert them right and not because they're having a problem with it or maybe there maybe there are people that are having a problem with it um but it is us that wants to step in and save the day right and what is so weird is because it's like is there's this huge push right now against the crusades right like there's this like we can't even when i was growing up we had campus crusade right and that was like a, a college ministry sure. and they had to change the, they had to change their name like right because it's uh because you know it's uh you're calling back to those crusades that are that are terrible but yet still americans want to go on their own crusades and some of them don't even include violence. And there's still these crusades where it's like, we have to convert people to our cause. We have to change people. And it's like, why? Um, you know, there's uh, when actually what we're just called to do, for those of you that are a part of the faith, is actually just love other people. Right. You know? Um and so that's where it's just it's deeply frustrating. And when we look at the violence in the Bible, the best way to reconcile it is to look at Jesus and sit there and say, "What did Jesus do?" Because this is I know, this is who I'm following. I'm following this guy. Um, if you're if you're following the Old Testament and you're following that kind of stuff, and this is where people say that you know you can just throw the Old Testament out. I don't believe that you that you should do that, but. What is important to do is always understand to follow 
Jesus Christ because that guy is who your faith rests on. That's uh, when we talked about our 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 circles and we talked about at the center of our faith is Jesus Christ. You have to constantly be looking to him and through him you see the Father. And that is where you should see God's character and know that and trust in Jesus being that for us. So, I mean, like that's because I, I we should not be and in for a couple of questions that I asked tonight where we talked about, you know, the Psalms, should we be asking for the deliverance of our enemies? I think you can. I think that's why it's in the scriptures. You can sure come to God with everything that you have, you know? Oh yeah. I don't think it's sinful. If, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're already a God fearing good, you know, eight year old boy and you're getting the crap beat out of you at, at every day at school and you're praying to God every night when you're going to bed. <laughs> that, that, that bully, yeah, the bully. The bully yeah, I don't think, I don't think God's gonna be like, oh, son, you know, you've sinned. I, you know, I think God understands our frustrations, and that's that's why they're there. They, they, we're human. <laughs> yeah, this is the part. The Bible is inspired by God. We are to learn about God through the Bible. But it is written by humans and written by humans who at them themselves were struggling to understand who God was and what he wanted for them. And we get... We... I think you and I share the frustration just to wrap up, rip up, wrap up this episode that we are so certain about what we way we interpret things and read things in the Bible and how to explain them that it gets us into trouble and we need to own that right and I think a lot of times if you if you're listening to this and you've got a Richard Dawkins or a uh Christopher Hitchens in your world say you're a college kid and you've got someone saying yeah, I've read the Bible once, or I grew up in the church, or whatever. You know, I had to read it for, and and there's all this violence in there, and it's just this, it's this, you know, the whole Old Testament's this book about genocide. I think it's fine for you to say, well, it's not that, and there's a lot of stuff in there, and you know what, I struggle with it too. And we're in the middle of a series of why people are leaving the faith. People are leaving the faith because because uh, I think we are acting so certain about so many things that we're not certain about. Um, I can't, con but we should be able to own it and say, we don't know. And if someone who's not a believer says, well, because you don't know, then your faith isn't sincere or it doesn't have all the answers to the world figured out, then I don't believe it. That's, that's where it's not my problem. That's not my problem. It's, it's unfortunate that you can't believe in this faith because it's not some roadmap to the world. But we fall, we fall in, we get ourselves into trouble when we say it's, 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 it's this nice little roadmap that if you just read it and understand it, then it's going to give you a roadmap to the world. And it's not. Right. And what's important also in, in kind of what you said is that there are, we are, we make up as well as 
as well as any of you that are out there that are listening to this, we make up, well, there, there may be some of you that are a part of that 1%, but there are 99% of believers don't know any more than any of that. They have these conversations all the time. You have all these doubts cross your mind. You have all these questions that get presented to you and all that kind of stuff. And you don't know or you you come up with your answers or whatever. Don't – my thing is don't let that just shake your faith to where you feel the need to walk away um, because of these questions that are, that are opinionated or whatever. Um, these are hard questions. Um, to which we ask you to go, go look for answers. Go, go talk with your pastors. If you're not even comfortable with that, um, do the research online. Um, take classes. Do something. If if you're not content, go look for answers. Um, and that's what we would encourage through all of this. Is just like you. And also, we would encourage you to not let that shake your faith. Don't. Let that be such a huge um, issue. Understand that there are others out there that are struggling with it just as much as you are and that we're all looking for answers and we're hopefully going to, you know, find them someday. And kind of something that I want to end on, well, it's something that I had looked up to kind of do this and we'll, we'll talk about it probably um, one of these next couple of weeks when we look at um, kind of another reason for why people are leaving the faith. But um, just there's this situation where, um, where you know, uh, where Job um reaches out and he and he questions God, and that's totally okay, um, to go out there and and uh, and ask of God, and and we're we're gonna talk about it probably in a couple weeks or or next week or whenever, um, that God's answer is not exactly a friendly response back. Um, it's not just like, oh, Job, you did a great job, you know, like you questioned me, um. But through that, um, we get some. We understand that Job still is blessed even after that, of questioning God and saying like, "Hey, this is something that I'm struggling with, with you." And 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 so continue to lean on God for that. For those of you that are believers out there, so that's what I would say. Anything else, Tim? I got. I'm going to finish on this. It's a. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I think it. And I don't necessarily agree with everything the guy says. But I think it kind of encapsulates where you and I are at, where we're hoping people who listen to this are, um, as to how to look at the Bible um, and and the violence in it. Uh, and it's, it's written it's written by John Collins. He's a professor at Yale Divinity School, and he says this: "There is much in the Bible that is not quote unquote worthy of God of the philosophers. There is also much that is not worthy of humanity." certainly not much that is not worthy to serve as a model for imitation. This material should not be disregarded, for it is at least as revelatory as the more edifying parts of the biblical witness. The power of the Bible is largely that it gives an unvarnished picture of human nature and of the dynamics of history, and also of religion and the things that people do in its name. After all, it is only in the utopian future that the wolf is supposed to live with the lamb. Even then, the wolf will probably feel safer of the two. The biblical portrayal of human reality only becomes pernicious when it is vested with authority and assumed to reflect without qualification or differentiation the wisdom of God or the will of God. 
The Bible does not demystify or demythologize, demythologize sorry, demythologize itself, but neither does it claim that the stories it tells are paradigms for human action in all times and places. The least that should be expected of any biblical interpretation is honesty, and that requires the recognition that the word that in the words of James Barr that quote the command of the consecration to destruction is morally offensive and has to be faced as such unquote whether it is in the Bible or the Quran to recognize this is to admit that the Bible for all the wisdom it contains is no infallible guide on ethical matters as Roland Blanton put it in his survey of Christian attitudes in war and peace Quote, appeal to the Bible is not determinative, unquote. But historically, people have appealed to the Bible pre precisely because it is presumed divine authority, which gives an aura of certitude to any position that can be shown to support it. In the phrase of Hannah Arendt, quote, God-like certainty that stops all discussion, Yeesh. unquote. And here I would suggest is the most basic connection between the Bible and violence, more basic than any command or teaching it contains. Oliver Wendell Holmes, the great American jurist, reflected in his career that he had entered the Civil War brimming with certitude over the righteousness of abolition, which surely was a righteous cause. But by the end of war, he had drawn a different lesson. That certitude leads to violence. The Bible has contributed to violence in the world precisely because it has been taken to confer a degree of certitude that transcends human discussion and argumentation. Perhaps the most constructive thing a biblical interpreter can do towards listening, lessening the contribution to Bible violence in the world is to show that certitude is an illusion. There's a lot there, but he's right. I know we got to wrap this up, but every time Christendom, as it's been called for 2,000 years, has gotten itself into trouble is when it's been certain about a lot of things that it might not have been should have been certain about or that aren't certain in the bible all right well that wraps up episode three thanks everyone for listening uh if you like this podcast three episodes in we ask that you go to the itunes store and rate us if you want to send us a message uh, you can also put uh messages in the comment section we would just ask if you uh disagree with disagree with us on anything uh, be respectful. Uh, good questions or challenges to what we have to say, we might even read on the on on air. I think we'll probably do that. But if you're just gonna uh, sp spit bile at us, don't waste waste our time. Or uh, one might say, go to hell. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus. Let us drink beer.